London, New York, Barcelona. Today from Ireland, you can fly to almost any place. But what if you could fly to any time? If you could experience events that change the world, if you could meet the people who lived through history, would you do it? Welcome to a new series of Time Travels, the programme where we explore the past. Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelts. It could be a bumpy journey. Okay, we made it. And if my calculations are correct, it looks like we're in Greece. Ancient Greece. There's someone coming. Let's see what she can tell us. Hello. Are you here to help me with this stuff? No. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got so much to carry. The festival's starting tomorrow and I'm just up to my eyes, preparing everything for the master and his family. I work in that grand house on the hill. Nice, isn't it? And yes, before you ask, I am a slave. But my master is not the worst. Not the best, mind you, but not the worst. I run the kitchen and I can tell you that I keep it all well under control. And usually things tick over very nicely. But the master and his wife are just mad for the festivals. Now, I think I'd enjoy a good shindig as much as the next person. But between you and me, in our house, it's all a bit OTT this year. More food than anyone could eat. And wine flowing as if there's no tomorrow. But I suppose I can't blame the master and his wife. Because this year is a bit different. You see, in Olympia, they've always had a huge festival every four years to honour the gods. And the last few times, the festival has included the Olympic Games. It's nice in a way, because the wars and the battles all have to stop, and everyone gathers to have a bit of fun. The Olympic Games used to just be a running race, but now they've added lots more events. There's chariot racing, wrestling, boxing, jumping, javelin and discus throwing. And that's the thing. This year my master's son Alec has decided to enter the Games. He's trying for the wrestling. Now, don't get me wrong, he's a big fellow and I'm sure he's got a good shot at it. But I'm terrified he'll get hurt. I've taken care of him since he was a baby and he's grown up to become the gentlest of giants. He sometimes brings me fresh flowers if he comes across them in the fields, the dough. So as you can imagine, the thought of him getting pounded by whoever else shows up on the day. Oh, well, I just dread to think. Fingers crossed the other competitors are on the puny side. I was only saying to the other servant this morning, certainly very exciting for the household and it would be such a huge honour for Alec to win but honestly there's been talk of nothing else for the past year everything's been focused on Alec's training Alec's diet Alec's rest I'll be glad when it's over 
I won't sleep a wink the night before, of course, praying to the gods that they keep him safe, but hopefully it'll go well for him. Not that I get to go see him competing, of course. As a woman, you can't get in the door. But I suppose it wouldn't really be appropriate anyway, as the athletes are all totally naked. Anyway, I better head off now or I'll never finish my work for the day. Enjoy the festival! I think we should find out a bit more about ancient Greece. Ask an expert. My name is Joe Day and I'm a lecturer in Greek archaeology in the School of Classics in UCD and I also run the UCD Classical Museum. Who were the ancient Greeks? So the, the ancient Greeks is the name that we give to the people who lived in the country that's now Greece. Um, They lived there in the old days, and we would say from maybe about 7,000 BC up to about 146 BC, we would say they're the Greeks. Um, But if we're actually talking about the the ancient Greeks that we know about and that we think about when when we say that phrase, we really mean the people who lived in Athens, because we know the most about the people in Athens, and we mean the people who lived there from about 700 to about 400 BC. What gods did the ancient Greeks believe in? The ancient Greeks believed in loads of gods. And the thing that's interesting is that they saw their gods as people like them. So they had human characteristics. So they fought with each other. They loved each other. They played tricks on each other. Um, There were the most important ones were called the 12 Olympians. And they were all a family of brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and things. So, for example, Zeus was the king of the gods. Um, and was the father of a lot of the other gods. Um, One of his children, Athena, was the goddess of war and also wisdom, and she's always shown wearing a helmet, and she's got an owl perched on her shoulder. Um, And interestingly, she was actually born from Zeus's head. So when she was being born, he had a headache, and one of the other gods, Hephaestus, who's the craftsman god, came with an axe and split open Zeus's head, and Athena burst out fully fully grown up and wearing her armour and ready to go. Um, So there's some funny stories about them like that. Uh, Athena had a brother called Apollo, who was the god of music and who was also associated with the sun. And the Greeks believed that the sun moving across the sky was Apollo's chariot going across the sky every day. Um, There was a god of war called Ares, who was very strong and very fierce. And there was a god of wine called Dionysus, who would encourage wine to grow and people to have parties and things. So all kinds of different gods and goddesses. What was it like to be a child in ancient Greece? Very different to being a child today. So it would depend, first of all, if you were a boy or a girl, and also if you were a slave or not a slave, because the ancient Greeks had slaves, and if you were a slave, your life was basically to work for your owners. If you were a boy, um, you received education. So from when you were about six, you would have gone to school, you would have learned uh, what were thought to be the most important things. So music, uh, you'd learn to play the lyre and stuff. Writing and reading, so that you were literate. And lots of people were literate in ancient Greece. And also athletics. So you would train your body mentally and physically to become a sort of a well-rounded person. Um, If you were a girl, you didn't go to school. You, You would have stayed in the home and you would have learned 
things to do with running the house because when you grew up your role was to be a wife and a mother so you would have learned things like how to manage the slaves how to um, sort of supervise the cooking how to prepare for religious festivals do weaving um, and just look after the family so very different experiences depending on if you were a boy or a girl what did the ancient greeks do for fun Well, fun depends on if you're a kid or a grown-up. So kids did things like kids do today. So they had toys that they played with. And the way that we find out about toys in the ancient world is either through archaeological remains, so we can find things like dolls made of clay, made of pottery, um, or we can also look at pictures on pottery that show children playing with things. So we see them like playing ball games or rolling hoops or just sort of running around having fun. Um, If you were a grown-up, you would obviously do different things to your children. So one of the main forms of entertainment for grown-up men in ancient Greece was to go to an event called a symposium, which was a all-male party where they sat around and they drank wine and they took turns to recite poetry, to sing songs. Um, they played games like balancing acts and things. Um, acrobats came in and performed for them. So just like a party in a house, basically. Other things that they could do would involve uh, going to the theatre. So drama was very important in ancient Greece and they could go and they could watch comedy or tragedy, so funny things about political figures or sort of serious things about myths and stuff. Um, And also religious festivals were actually fun too. So in Athens there's something called the Panathenaic Festival, which was Athena's birthday, and that involved days of um, games and and processions, and there was a big sacrifice of animals with a feast afterwards. So loads of different things. How did the ancient Olympics begin? There's a couple of different stories about how the Olympics started. Um, One of them is to do with Heracles, the great Greek hero, slayer of monsters and things, and that when he was doing one of his 12 labours quite near where Olympia is, which is where the Olympic Games were held. Um, He took some time off to basically lay out the stadium and kind of institute some games there. So there's a mythological explanation. There's also a more kind of archaeological one that says the Olympics just emerged from um, funeral games for a local hero. So there's a hero called Pelops who's buried at Olympia. And one of the elements of funerals in ancient Greece early on was was having these large games where people would compete at different events. So they may have emerged from that too. I mean, it's very hard to tell, really. How were the ancient Olympics different to the Olympics today? Gosh, there's so many differences. Um, I suppose the first thing is that it was only men who were allowed to compete. So women weren't allowed to enter while the festival was on or compete in, in the actual games. Although the one thing that they could do was own chariot racing teams so women could own horses that could then compete but they themselves weren't allowed in in the stadium or in in the sanctuary to watch or to to witness what was going on there was also a three-month truce was declared when the olympic games were happening so nobody was allowed to fight there were no wars no battles everybody sort of held peace to allow the competitors to come from all the different parts of the greek world to olympia to compete in the games have the festival and then go back home again and then wars could continue That doesn't happen today. One of the things that the competitors had to do was to swear an oath that they would not cheat. 
Um, so at the start of the, the, the whole festival, them and the judges both swore to kind of uphold the, you know, the rules of the games. And if they were caught cheating, they had to pay a fine. And then this money went towards making um, bronze statues of Zeus, which lined the entrance to the stadium and would have had inscriptions about, you know, who cheated underneath them. So it's a very sort of public shaming of uh, as you go into the stadium, you see these statues of you know, people who had cheated before and were shamed. Another difference is in terms of the prizes. So there were no prizes for second or third place in the ancient Olympics, just first place. That's all that mattered. And if you came first, you didn't get a medal. All you got was an olive wreath, um, which was placed on your head. But when you went back to your own town or wherever you came from, they would then sort of give you loads of honours and they would often set up statues to you or, you know, provide you with an annual income for being such a great Olympian and things. So there were fewer events in the ancient Olympics than there are in today's festival but they still were the same broad thing. So they're still running races. Um, so a short one, which is two lengths of the stadium, um, a slightly longer one, which is uh, four lengths, and a, and a big one, which is 24 lengths. Um, they also did um, horse racing and chariot racing. They did boxing. They did wrestling. They had something called the Pancration, which is kind of like mixed martial arts, where you basically grappled, and the only thing you weren't supposed to do was bite or gouge. They had discus and javelin throwing. Um, and, and one other race they had was something called the Hoplite Adromus, where you ran in your armour as a soldier, so with your shield and your greaves, which are metal shin guards, and you would have to run, again, the length of the stadium. So I imagine that would have been quite funny, actually, as well as quite hard. Who could enter the Olympics? Only men. So women weren't allowed to be competitors. They uh, could own horses that could enter chariot races and things, but they weren't allowed to enter the actual um, sort of sanctuary or to, to compete or to witness the games. And this was one way that this was upheld was that they all competed naked. So there's no way a woman could actually sneak in. What did the ancient Greeks give us? Gosh, so much, so much. Um, obviously, the Olympics. Um, but also things, uh, political systems like democracy is, is a Greek invention. The Greeks were the first people to sort of realise you didn't actually have to have a God-given king, that you could just rule yourselves, so democracy. Um, things like philosophy, um, different types of medicine, um, and then on a sort of a, a less broad level, um, they made excellent art. So we've got all kinds of wonderful sculptures from ancient Greece, amazing pots, which we can look at in the classical museum. They gave us theatre, the idea of going to watch drama in a sort of a stepped, semicircular theatrical space. They gave us the gridded city. So that's that gridded layout that you see a lot of newly planned cities are built on, particularly in places like America. That's actually a Greek invention. Um, so all kinds of stuff that you know we still draw on today. Myth, Greek myth is the foundation for you know, TV shows and drama and literature and all kinds of things. Were the ancient Greeks better than ancient Romans? Of course they were. <laughs> How could I not say that? <laughs> um, they were, yes, they were better. I mean, they're obviously two very different cultures that had different ways of doing things. The Greeks were better because they didn't have one person in charge. So the Romans you know, had an emperor, um, whereas in Greece there are lots of different sort of self-sufficient governing um, city-states. Um, I've just explained to you all the different things that they've bequeathed us. Um, their pottery and their art is better than the Roman art. Um, in ancient Greece they didn't 
uh, go to watch gladiators kill each other for fun. Killing somebody was was forbidden. It was frowned upon and you, you would be ostracised, you would be kicked out of your, your community if you killed someone. In ancient Rome, um, people would frequently go to the amphitheatre to watch gladiators um, and prisoners fight each other and, and kill each other for, for, for the crowd's entertainment, which would not have worked in ancient Greece. Did you know that ancient Olympic athletes competed in the nude? Weird, but true. Here at the UCD Classical Museum, there are some interesting artefacts from ancient Greece. Joe Day is going to show us around. So now we're in the UCD Classical Museum. The Classical Museum was actually set up at the start of the 20th century by a professor of Greek in UCD who believed that you couldn't teach about the ancient world without stuff. So he wrote letters to museums and excavations around Europe and said, I'm setting up a classical museum, have you spare things? And then they would send them, you know, pottery and, and whatnot. And so he built up a collection for teaching in that way, which I love the idea of them flying around in the post and stuff. In the museum, we've got a collection of things from ancient Greece and ancient Rome, as well as Egypt and Cyprus. Um, there's loads of pottery, but we've also got lots of coins. We've got some inscriptions, which are stones with writing carved on them and we've got a little bit of glass and a little bit of metal. So what we're looking at here is those two little vases on the back shelf there. These are little pots that were given to boys when they were about three or four, and they attended a festival of Dionysus called the Anthisteria, which is a big celebration to do with opening the new wine for the new year and everything. And it also marked the coming of age of, of young boys, where they were sort of their first taste of wine in a kind of a, a community setting. And they would get a little jug each to commemorate that event. And the, pic the jugs have got pictures on them of kids playing and doing appropriate kind of child things. So you can see that little girl there is bouncing a ball or something. And then in this picture here, if you come this way a little bit more, um, you see he's, he's pulling a, a kind of a trolley behind him and see that there's grapes hanging down from the top because this is tied in with Dionysus and the wine festival. And you can also see that they're not very good at drawing children. It's something that actually didn't work well in ancient Greece till about the 4th century BC. Kids before that look like mini-adults, so they're often really muscly and quite funny looking. <laughs> so these pots date to about 420 BC, so they're about 2,500 years old. So this metal thing here is called a strigil. Now you can see it, it's curvy. Um, it's about maybe a foot long, um, and it's got one kind of sharper side. And it would have been, it's an essential part of any athlete's toolkit because when they were training or practicing, they covered themselves in oil and got all kind of greased up and, and, and um, ready to exercise. And then afterwards, they would use the strigil to scrape off the oil and the dirt for when they were wrestling or whatever. So it's how they got clean in ancient Greece and in Roman times too. So they didn't have shower gel and, you know, shampoo and things. They used oil and, and a metal scraper basically. <laughs> So this is a huge pot, it's about half a metre tall, and it's a shape called a crater, which is an essential part of any ancient Greek symposium, or those wine drinking parties, because it's from mixing water and wine together. So the ancient Greeks believed that you shouldn't drink wine undiluted, that you had to water it down or else you were a barbarian. It's kind of nice because on one side of it here, we have a picture of them actually at a symposium. So you can see there are three guys sitting on a couch together, and then another three over on this side, um, obviously either arriving or leaving uh, the party. And this is how they 
sat down at their symposium. They didn't have tables and chairs like we do. They didn't have a sofa to kind of lounge on. They sat on these couches, two or three of them side by side, propped up on an elbow. So they had one hand free for drinking their wine and the other hand to prop them up. And they would chat and play games. And what they're actually doing with the cups in their hands there so you can see that that is, a, is a, a cup, like the one I showed you, or like this one here with a little soup bowl shape. They're playing a game called Cotabos, which is a game where they had to flick the dregs of the wine at a target and try and knock something over. Um, so, you know, they're enjoying their party. <laughs> Today, marathons take place all over the world and many athletes compete. You may even know someone who completed a marathon. But did you know that the first marathon was completed over 2,500 years ago in ancient Greece? This is the story of a man called Pheidippides. Pheidippides was employed by the Greek army as a day runner, known as a hemerodrome. A hemerodrome's job was to deliver messages for the military as quickly as possible. And so they had to be extremely fit and athletic as they sometimes had to run for days at a time with very little sleep or food. Around 490 BC, Greece was at war with Persia, which was a huge empire and very powerful. Persia wanted to capture Athens and its army arrived at a place called Marathon where the Greek soldiers tried to hold them back. But the Greeks were vastly outnumbered and they were worried that they would be defeated. So they sent Pheidippides, the messenger, to Sparta to ask for help. Pheidippides set out and it took him two days to run 150 miles across the mountains. But when he arrived, it turned out that the Spartans could not come to help immediately because they were celebrating a religious festival. They believed that they must wait until the next full moon before they could fight, or the gods would be angry with them. The next full moon was six days away, so Pheidippides turned around and ran the whole way back to Marathon, all 150 miles, to tell the Greeks that the Spartans were delayed. Things were becoming very tense and the Greek soldiers decided that they could not wait for the Spartans and they attacked the Persian army. The battle was ferocious. There were far more Persian soldiers than Greek soldiers, but despite all odds, the Greeks won. The Persian army left to go straight to Athens where they hoped they might have more success. Pheidippides was called upon once more. This time, he had to run to Athens to tell them that the Greeks had won the Battle of Marathon, but to warn them that the Persians were on their way to the city. He ran the whole 25 miles and arrived exhausted. He shouted, Rejoice! We conquer! And then he died. Historians do not know if the story of Pheidippides really did happen this way, or if it is partly a myth. But the story is remembered today with the Modern Marathon, a running race of 26 miles, which is now a popular sporting event. The first marathon was run at the Modern Olympic Games in 1896, and it was won by a Greek man called Spiridon Luis. By coincidence, 
he too had worked as a messenger, just like Pheidippides. He was a postman. Today, some people also take part in an ultramarathon in Greece, called the Spartathlon, which is over 150 miles. Home sweet home, and the airport is just as busy as ever. And like I said, you can fly to almost anywhere or any time. So, where do you want to go next? The programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee.